Thank you for listening to the First Christian Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. Here you will be able to listen to all of our Sunday morning sermons. Be sure to hit the subscribe or follow button so you don't miss a sermon. Enjoy today's message. Thanks for joining us this morning. We're in a series called uh, Thy Kingdom Come, and we do a little thing at the beginning of this sermon series, Thy Kingdom Come on Earth. And we've been doing this for about nine weeks, and we've got a couple more weeks left in this series. So if you're a baseball fan, Maybe you're a Cards fan. They outnumber us Cubs fans here in this congregation. It's about the bottom of the eighth inning in this series. And we're going to be wrapping up over the next few weeks. But what I've found is this has been such a relevant sermon series in regard to where we live and breathe every day. And I didn't realize that when I started this series that I've read through the Sermon on the Mount and heard sermons on the Sermon on the Mount all my life. And yet at this time, at this juncture in our history, in our culture, I think it's very, very relevant what Jesus says. And it's super, super practical. And today the message title is Persistent Pursuit. And I just want to commend a couple guys on our staff. CJ and John went to Superstart with some parents and some kids this last weekend. And if they're looking a little droopy and a little tired, it's because they really invested in our young people this weekend. And I think that's so important for a church. Amen. And being a recovering youth pastor, I endured that addiction, loved that addiction for about 28 years. I know how much that takes to do that, and I appreciate that so much, that we are a congregation that leans into that next generation. And we need to lean young and reach that next generation for Christ, or we won't exist as a body. And that's our job, to make disciples, and that includes the next generation. So we really appreciate the folks that volunteer in youth ministry and children's ministry and in our preschool ministry and the difference that it's making in the lives of our kids. My my mom, who's watching online today, uh, said, Christian, you've been in youth group all your life. And I said, yes. And it, it has been awesome, awesome ride. But now I'm a senior pastor and it's not nearly as much fun. It's <laughs> It's not. People take you so seriously as a senior pastor. i got to be so careful in what I do. I was wild and crazy. Those youth pastor days, they were wild and crazy days. And, and, but, but a lot high energy and a lot of hard work that they do that they a lot of times don't get recognized for. And I just really appreciate our guys and our adult volunteers that minister to those kids because they're making a difference forever. Forever you know, for, for the kingdom. So Jesus is preaching in Matthew 5 through 7. It's the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus actually lived what he taught and, and preached in, in, a, in a way that no one else could. And, and because of that, there was somebody that actually changed the world by the way that he lived. And as a result, we are here today, 2,000 years later. And he was such a radical rabbi uh, 
that he was bringing people back to the heart of God and what God had intended. And when we say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, Jesus was refocusing people to that spiritual reality, to that heavenly kingdom that we all want to be a part of. And he was called rabbi, which means teacher. And somebody, I was, I was talking in the back of my exercise class with another person, and somebody from our church said, well, there are two teachers talking in the back of the class. <laughs> and I said, you know, I never really, as a youth pastor, I mean, my, my head is still in youth ministry. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm a preacher, but I'm still, my head's in youth ministry. So I don't think of myself as a teacher as much as a relational person and a pastor. That's kind of how I identify. I mean, that's kind of who I am. And so teaching comes along with it, but I'm more about loving you than I am about teaching all the time. And in fact, I met a rabbi one time. We were at a minister's association meeting over in Terre Haute one time, and, and there's, no, there's no synagogue, I don't think, no temple, Jewish temple in Terre Haute anymore. There's a Jewish community, but it's not as strong. But the rabbi looked at us and said, you know, you, you guys have really kind of goofed up my job. Because he was a rabbi. I mean, he was a doctor rabbi. You know, he was smart. He was very smart. They're very well paid. Small Jewish temple congregation that he had there. But he said, you guys are messing it up because you're doing pastoral care and you're, you're doing these type of things. And now I'm feeling pressure from my congregation to go and visit them in the hospital and go do these things. <laughs> and he wasn't, I mean, he was complaining, but, but really the rabbi's job was just to teach and do what the, Jewish worship was in that synagogue. That's what all he was supposed to do. And, and so Jesus, as a rabbi, actually lived what he taught. No one else can do that. I don't do that. I sin and I fall short of my teaching. There's always that tension. And I've not arrived and I am still growing and so are you. If you're really honest to the core of who you are. So the question in this message, the key idea is the answer to this question. What do we do when spiritual growth is harder than we expected? And it is. Like everything else in life, everything that I do is harder than I expect. When I'm doing house home improvement projects, I always cost more, takes more time, and I break more stuff, and I need more tools because it's harder than I expected. And I started that before there was a YouTube. And even with a YouTube, it doesn't always work out. Does it? No. So this is what Jesus says to us in answer to that question. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be open. Ask, seek, knock. Now, Jesus, in this moment, is talking about prayer. And this is in addition to what he taught in the model prayer that John Rhodes preached about a few weeks ago. And he is teaching us that we need to continue to persist. Jesus is calling you to a level of spiritual maturity that requires growth. You may like 
where you are. It may be your comfort zone, but Jesus isn't going to leave you there. And no matter how hard you try not to go there, he is calling you and there will be obstacles, there will be trials, there will be troubles that will inspire you to move on. And Jesus is teaching us how to pray over our spiritual needs, not our material wants. This is super important because a lot of people, a lot of preachers, use this passage to say, name it, claim it, God wants for you to be wealthy and healthy and get everything that you've ever dreamed of. And that is not what Jesus is talking about. In fact, we'll look at Scripture, parallel Scripture, that will clarify that as we we look at this passage today. Because God is more concerned about your motivations of your heart and where they are, whether they're spiritual or whether they're material. And we need to ask him to help us to overcome the challenges, and there will be challenges, to spiritual growth. And you may get frustrated every communion time because you may be confessing the same sins and repenting of the same things like I do and saying, Lord, I need your help. I need to be changed. I need to be transformed. I need you to work on me because I can't do it by myself. And there are two reasons that, that, that why we don't ask God for help in our spiritual growth. Two reasons. The first one is pride. We think we're, we got it under control. We're doing good. I'm fine. I've got this. That's a terrible place to be. That is a very dangerous place for a Christian to be. We don't have it. We don't control it. Only God can by his grace. Number two is guilt. I'm not good enough. I try, I try, I try. I keep making the same. I keep sinning the same ways. I struggle. I don't feel good about myself. When I look in the mirror, all I see is my sin and all the bad things that I do. And so why should I go to the Lord? Well, the Hebrew writer writes it this way in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. He says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Dave Basinger, who did our communion meditation and who do our who will do our offering meditation this morning, this morning, invited me on U version, which is a Bible app that I use and I encourage you to use to join in a devotional called Grace Bombing. Grace Bombing. I never heard of it before, and so our men's group that meets in between Sunday school or during the Sunday school hour between the two church services, we're going to look at grace bombing for the next three or four weeks. And what that is, is that, that God has given us grace. So therefore we need to grace bomb others. That, that just means basically acts of kindness where we see someone maybe uh, struggling or having difficulty or just needing some encouraging encouragement, doing an act of kindness or an act of grace, something that will help them to inspire them, to encourage them to know that they are loved. Just that simple. And 
and when God, since God has done that for us, then the challenge is for us to do that for others. Now, as we look at this passage and Jesus is teaching us to pray and to pursue God persistently, we need to remind ourselves of this, that we don't pray to get something. We pray to get to know someone. Now, this has radically changed the way I pray. It's, it's like I'm talking to you and I'm not asking you for stuff. I'm just getting to know you. And that's an opportunity for us to change the di- dynamic because, you see, God is a relational God and he wants us to know him. Now, if I, my kids came to me and asked me for stuff all the time and never talked to me nicely or kindly, I, I would feel like I'm just a, a vending machine and, and all they are doing is receiving from me rather than having a relationship. And, and that's what God wants is that relationship and not to be that vending machine. Jeremiah 29.13 says it this way. says, if you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. And what that's saying is that we need to seek God. We need to pursue God. And when we, or when it comes to developing and cultivating a relationship with God, we have to be persistent. We have to pursue that. In Isaiah, in the English Standard Version, in, in Isaiah 62, Verses 6 and 7, it says, On your walls, O Jerusalem, I have set watchmen all the day and all the night. They shall never be silent. You who put the Lord in remembrance, take no rest and give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes it a praise in the earth. Now, in another translation, in the New Living Translation, I like the ESV because it's close to Scripture. It's a really, really, probably one of the best translations outside of the New American Standard Bible. But sometimes you have to look at another translation to say it another way so you can hear what God is saying, or at least understand what, what he's saying in this word. And so in the New Living Translation, I think it's, it's, it's more understandable. This is, O Jerusalem, I have posted watchmen on your walls. Remember, watchmen are to guard, to make secure the city. And, and they were to pray day and night continually. Take no rest. Don't fall asleep, all you who pray to the Lord. Give the Lord no rest. What do you mean, give the Lord no rest? Don't let him rest until he completes his work, until he makes Jerusalem the pride of the earth. What he's saying there is don't allow God to rest, to continually to pursue him, to continually remind him, to go to him all the time. So you might be asking to yourself, well, how do I give the Lord no rest? How do I do this? And, and, and I would say the answer really relies in other parts of the Bible that actually teach this principle. So where is this present in other parts of the Bible? And I'm glad you asked because it's in Genesis chapter 32. Now, if you remember back in your Old Testament, Jacob fleed Esau because Jacob stole his birth, his brother's birthright away from him and Esau was going to kill him. And when he came back, he sent all his 
all his wealth and all his wives and all his children. And yes, that was multiple wives. I don't know why anybody would do that, but he did. <laughs> Sent him ahead of him. And then he, he stayed back for a little while. I don't know if he was a chicken or what was going on. But anyway, he wrestled with this mysterious figure in the Old Testament. This is a fascinating story. Some people believe that it was Jesus. Some people believe that it was an angel. But they wrestled physically and they held on to each other. And if you remember the story, you remember that the strange person held Jacob by his hip and Jacob limped after that event for the rest of his life. And then in, in verse 6 or 26 of uh, chapter 32, then the man said, this mysterious man said, let me go for the dawn is breaking. They'd wrestled all night. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And so in that moment, Jacob's name, which meant deceiver, he was changed to Israel and at that moment, his life changed because he pursued and wrestled with God. Now, there's another time in the Old Testament, in Exodus chapter 32, and if you remember with me the story of the Israelites who had left Egypt, and Moses had went up the mountain for 40 days, and God actually wrote on the Ten Commandments with his own finger. It says that in Scripture. And so, after those 40 days, Moses came down from the mountain, and all Israel was partying and worshiping this golden idol, and Moses was so mad that he threw those tablets down, and I was, you know, I always think that if I were Moses in that moment, there would have been no way I would have thrown those tablets down, because it, it just cost me 40 days of my life. And God, you know, I don't, you know, God might be mad if you break whatever he wrote on, you know what I mean? And so anyway, you know, they, they killed a bunch of people, and they had to drink the the dust of the golden calf, and, and they made, you know, Moses made the point, there's no other gods, no idol, idolatry, and I always wondered why Aaron got to live, because he was the one that crafted that, that, that golden idol, and he said, oh, it just fell out of the, the gold, it just happened that way. I mean, come on, Aaron, that's a bald-faced lie. Why does the high priest get to live, but nobody else? Doesn't make sense to me. So the Levites turned in that moment and killed a bunch of other people that happened to be worshiping that idol. So anyway, Moses treads back up to, to the mountain to receive from the Lord the Ten Commandments again, but God is ready to wipe them all out. I mean, just obliterate those crazy Israelites. I have some other things to say, but I won't. Exodus 32, 11 through 14, we see the interchange where Moses becomes the mediator between God and the Israelites. He says, but Moses tried to pacify the Lord his God. Oh Lord, he said, why are you so angry with your own people whom you brought from the land of Egypt with such great power and such a strong hand? I can understand why God would feel that way. I mean, 10 plagues wasn't enough. Pillar by, or a pillar of cloud by day, pillar of fire by night, my presence in the, in the tabernacle, all of those things going on. I mean, water, manna, the whole nine yards. 
Why let the Egyptians say, Moses goes on, their God rescued them from the evil intention of slaughtering them in the mountains and wiping them from the face of the earth. Turn away from your fierce anger. Change your mind about this terrible disaster you have threatened against your people. Remember your servants Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You bound yourself with an oath to them saying, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars of the heaven. I will give them all of this land that I have promised to your descendants and they will possess it forever. So the Lord changed his mind. Did the Lord really change his mind? No. The Lord knew what he was doing all, all, all along. Did the Lord change Moses' mind toward his people? Absolutely he did. Did Moses grow in this moment by stepping in and becoming the mediator between God and the people of God? Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, those are two Old Testament passages that, that show us the persistent pursuit of God. But I want to look at a couple of New Testament passages where Jesus says this again. Look at Luke 11, chapter, verses five, Luke chapter 11, verses 5 through 8. And this is what Jesus said. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will not answer from within, Do not bother me, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of its impudence, his persistence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Are you ever in a moment where you're just kind of relaxed at home? Maybe in the backyard, maybe lounging in your lazy boy watching TV and somebody knocks on your door. And that internal growl goes off. Oh, who could it be? Oh man, I'm just so comfortable. And you have to get up and take care of that situation. You ever feel like that? This is what Jesus is saying. But because of this person who's taking care of someone else's need, even though you don't want to, you do. Now God is a benevolent God who loves you like crazy. I tell my grandchildren every day, I love them like crazy, but I can't love them like crazy like God loves them like crazy, like he loves you like crazy. And he wants to do for you. So Jesus is saying, if there's people that don't want to do for you, God even wants to do for you. All you have to do is keep asking, seeking, and knocking. There's another passage of Scripture where Jesus shares this principle again in Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. I love this passage. And, and he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. Now, 
In my younger days as a youth pastor, I had this opportunity in Washington, Indiana, to go visit a judge in the hospital. I was super looking forward to it because I'd never met a judge personally. I've got to know a few judges in my life since then. But this judge, I was so excited. I wanted to talk to him about his life and his experience. He was older, and and he he was having probably a life-threatening disease. And I went to him and visited him. And he wasn't what I expected. He was an old grumpy man. He won. He didn't have any time for this youth pastor, young youth pastor, that whippersnapper. He didn't feel good and he didn't want to be bothered. And he said, okay, judge, can I pray with you? And I, and I did. But I was super disappointed. But this is the kind of judge that's talking about in scripture here. And so, and there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man... Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down for her continual coming. You ever have anybody in your life like that? And and the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? The principle is persistent pursuit in prayer to God about those things that we're concerned about. That loved one, that situation, that trouble, that trial, that medical prognosis, whatever it is. Pursue it with God. Paul says it this way, simply, three words. Pray without ceasing. Give it to God. We have permission to continue to go to God in prayer, believing he can give us what we want spiritually. He desires to do that for us. And the the question becomes, have you seen the power and the presence of God because of your persistent prayers? I have. And I hope you have as well. Because we can pray God's promises with persistence. He tells us to do that. Jesus did that. We should do that. And if you want to see the kingdom of God lived out through us, if we want to experience the power required to grow spiritually, we have to pray God's promises with persistence. That is what we're called to do. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 9 through 11, it goes on and says, Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fist, will give him a serpent. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? That's in Luke 11. Now, Jesus, this is a parallel passage that I was talking about, that Jesus is saying, hey, this is spiritual. We need to pursue God for spiritual needs and wants. Now, a few weeks ago, uh, Cornerstone had a half day. It was uh, 
I think student teacher day or teacher day or whatever. And so I picked up the grandkids and they'd asked me earlier that morning if I would take them out to lunch. And I said, sure. And they said, will you take us to Cilantro's, which is a local Mexican restaurant? And I said, sure. And then after I picked them up, they said, Grandpa, will you take us to McDonald's? And I said, no. And, and what I didn't know was that... Uh, my daughter had prepped them and said, you know, you can ask Grandpa to take you anywhere, but he won't take you to McDonald's. <laughs> you know, I did McDonald's as a youth pastor for about 28 years. And I loved him because as a bus driver, you got a free meal. But as a senior pastor, I don't do it to McDonald's anymore. And, and in, in fact, one time some people invited us over for a hayride and a, a hot dog cookout. And after they we'd gotten there and had the hot dogs, they said, probably this is not a big deal for you. I'm thinking, nope, it's not. Don't eat a lot of hot dogs anymore either. <laughs> probably won't make the grandkids hot dogs or McDonald's. You know, but I'll upgrade it. And that's what God does. You know, you don't ask him for a snake. Ask him for what you need, and he's going to give it to you. Leonard Ravenhill said this way, Christianity is the only religion in the world where a man's God comes and lives inside of him. So when Jesus talks about persistence in prayer, we're talking about the Holy Spirit of God moving and working and transforming us from the inside out. And only he can do that. That's his job. And sometimes he doesn't change us the way we want to or as quickly as we want to. And we need to be persistent in our pursuit. Second Peter 1.3 says it this way. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Did you hear that? He's given us everything we need to be right with him. The question is, do we believe that he's done that for us? Because he has. Now, this is where Jesus throws a twist in Matthew 7 as he teaches. So whatever you wish that others would do for you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. He's saying basically the golden rule. And, and, and you think, well, how does this pertain to persistent prayer? This is the attitude that we should have for one another. I share with people at different times because they, I treat them better than what they expect to be treated in certain transactions in my life. And I say, well, it's a simple principle. I want to be treated, or I want to treat you the way I would want to be treated. With love and respect, to speak to me kindly, and I want to speak to you kindly. Then Jesus goes on and he says this, and this just blows my mind in this passage in his teaching. He says, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. He's talking about the wide way and the narrow way. The way our world goes is the wide way without Christ. And the narrow way is with Christ. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. It requires persistent pursuit, asking, seeking, and knocking. And those that are find it, those who find it are few. Because it requires asking, seeking, and knocking. The proverb writer writes it this way. He says, there is a way that seems right to man, but 
its end is the way to death. That's not the way I want to go. Is it you? See, Jesus was the model of persistent pursuit in his relationship with God. Even to the point of obedience that brought him to a death on the cross. And yet at the same time he said, not my will, but thy will be done. But he gave us the image of dying on the cross for our sin. He suffered and bled and died so that we could be resurrected with him. That we could be in relationship with God. That he would restore the kingdom to way it was supposed to be. And that's a kingdom that we're going to live in forever. And I hope you will choose the narrow way and to persist with God because thy kingdom come on earth. Will you please stand and pray with me? Eternal God, we just love you so much. And Father, we're thankful that you teach us to pursue persistently, to pray persistently. And Father, that you are a rewarder and you are a giver and you desire the very best for us, even when we don't want the best for ourselves. And Father, we just pray that as you knock on the door of our hearts and our lives and as you call us and there's that tension between who we are and who we want to be in you that father that you will cause us to pursue you and to see you as the giver of all good things in our lives and father for those that are far from you who need to give their heart and their lives to you to surrender we just pray they would do that this day and we pray this in jesus name amen